Last couple of Sundays, you know, I've been, uh, Sunday schools have really been hitting the Catholic Church, and we'll get back to the Catholic Church, believe me. <laughs> it's going to come back around. But, and you'd re, and, and the re, notice the reason why I'm bringing up the Catholic Church, because that's what the Lord Jesus Christ brings up in the book of Revelation. So, it's that system. Revelation chapter 2, we're at verse 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you so much for loving us, taking care of us, Lord God. We're just praying that your Holy Spirit, He'll be the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. Lord, give us a mind to receive this. Give us a heart to receive it. I'm praying this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, we're at the, we're in the, we're at the church of Ephesus. And remember, these seven churches, I put this over on this board, these seven churches are, uh, it's, it, there's literal, seven literal churches, but they're also a timeline of church history. And we're breaking it down, and if, if, I'm, I'm going to try to leave this up as long as I can. It might not last long, I might have to rewrite it, but it gives you an idea. Right now, we're in the year 33 A.D. to 200 A.D., and the next church, Smyrna, is going to be 200, 325, 325 to 500, 500 to 1,000 A.D., 1,000 to 1,500, 1,500 to 1,900, and then we're in that church period called Laodicea, the last church of the seven churches. That's a church period that me and you are in today. But uh, mostly what you have with these dates is there's something significant that happens at that date, like that date in Smyrna, at the end of Smyrna, 325, that's a council of Nicaea. In here at Thyatira, Thyatira is 500 to 1,000 A.D., you start going into the dark ages, what the, what the world knows as the dark age, when the Catholic Church was in complete control and was trying to control the world at the time. And then Sardis was, uh, well, you'll get into, that's the, the main church period of, of dark ages. And then 1500s, right when the King James Bible is about to be translated, the Church of Brotherly Love that kept the Word of God, that's where the missionaries came out of. That's the greatest church period in history was the Philadelphia church period. It's amazing. And we'll get into all that. But today, we're at the end of Ephesus, and we're going to go right into Smyrna. So look at the end of, uh, cha- look at chapter 2, verse 7. And this is how the Lord ends this, this uh, letter to the church of Ephesus. He that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, so... What did you, if you read through Genesis as the, as the Bible challenge, what did we find out? That there was a tree of life, amen? It's come full circle. Now we're seeing the tree of life is mentioned again in the book of Revelation. So your Bible is just a circle. It's coming full circle. Start in Genesis, now we're coming back full circle. And he says, he that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So you see the paradise of God is back again. There's a tree of life. Now, this is, I'm pointing this out to y'all, and, y'all, and we're going, you're just going to have to hang with me and try to understand this. The, Paul told us to rightly divide the word of truth. So what, uh, what you're going to have to do is some of these verses you cannot apply to you. And you've got to, you've got to doctrinally, you've got to apply them somewhere. You can't apply them to you because you don't need to eat of the tree of life. Amen? Okay, why? Because you have eternal life. You don't need to eat of this tree of life to stay, to keep your life. You have eternal life given to you. We know that, Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians, Romans. Jesus Christ told us there in John chapter 3. So we know that we have eternal life without eating of any tree. So this specifically is a verse that we've got to apply to tribulation, to tribulation saints. 
And you're going to see this when the tribulation period gets started. The day of grace, what we would call the day of grace, that ends. Then you've got, you've got, you've got to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ, and you've got to survive, endure to the end. Then you'll be saved. That's not us. We're raptured out. We're going to be raptured out. So, but you've got to understand the tribulation period context of these verses. And you're getting a little taste of it here where he says, Him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Turn to, turn to Revelation 22, verse 14. Revelation 22, verse 14. Let's look, a little, look, look at this a little deeper. And uh, this is at the end. This is after uh, the new Jerusalem comes down, after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. And to know that it's Jesus, look at verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments. So here's somebody who's keeping the commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So there's somebody that has... Then keep the commandments, and they're allowed to go through the gates into the city and to eat of this tree of life. Guys, that's not you. You're already in the city. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's, your, that's where your mansion's at, is in that city. Uh, you don't need the tree of life. You've been given eternal life by Jesus Christ, John chapter 10. So this is a different class of people. This is tribulation saints that have come through the tribulation period that have, uh, didn't take the mark of the beast, because if you take the mark of the beast, you'll go to hell. Okay, don't take the mark of the beast that endure to the end, get their heads cut off. They're there when Jesus Christ comes back. These are those people. And there's some of these are some of these people that are the children of those people. Okay, and we'll get into all of this as we go through the book of Revelation. But I'm just showing you, go back to Revelation 2. I'm just showing you that there's, there's some stuff here that doesn't apply to you. Just like we've learned that there's things that don't apply to you, they apply to the Jew. Okay, so you can't, Take scripture. You've got to say, who is God talking to? Who does this apply to? That's called rightly dividing the word of truth. When you do not rightly divide the word of truth, which Paul commanded us to do, rightly divide the truth. If you do not do that, you will become a heretic. And number two, nine times out of ten, you'll join a cult. All these cults, they take verses that don't apply to the Christian and apply them to Christianity. That's where a lot of the trouble with these cults come from. Yeah, they have verses to back up what they believe, but they don't apply to me and you. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists are real bad about that. They try to take all these commandments, don't eat the pork, you got to worship God on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and then they try to apply it to Christians. And they take those verses, and they sound really good until you get into the book of Colossians, and you get into the New Testament, and it tells us we don't have to be judged by Holy, uh, by holy Sabbaths and moon, new moons. So... Guys, it's all about rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, back in uh, Revelation 2, look at verse 8. Let's go into the next church. So we're going to go to the next church. Now, this next church is Smyrna. It's a church at Smyrna. Here's a picture of a modern-day Smyrna, kind of give an idea of what it used to look like. You can see the modern-day building in the background, but here's some of the, the talk. Man, that's just amazing that they could, they could do that way back then. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, that's what they were building way back then. I couldn't do it. And we like to think about how stupid they were back then. Guys, these guys were not stupid. Don't get that. God has given us knowledge in the late 1800s, and knowledge has increased just like Daniel said it would in the end times. Knowledge has increased just like Daniel, the book of Daniel said it would. But that knowledge has increased because of God. Amen. God's allowed it. These guys... These guys were incredible architects. Look at that. Look how straight that is. Mean, it's amazing. This is 2,000 years later. We were looking at a rock that... Yeah, we came. Hey, man, we were looking at a rock and what we were doing. 
And, and, and it took three of us men out there. And we had a tractor with a, with a, with a motor and with, a, with the hydraulics. And we're trying to get all this stuff, trying not to bang each other's heads in. We're doing all this other stuff. There was four men out there. Actually, four men out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, don't be sending us out there to do that. But the point is, is they could do it. I'm just telling you, the ancients were really, really smart. They still hadn't figured out how they built the pyramid, so much so they think aliens might have done it. That's how stupid they are. Okay. This period's going to run from about A.D. 200 to about A.D. 325. 325 is going to be the Council of Nicaea, and we'll get into that next church period, the next church period. But this is church history, so these numbers are not set in stone, guys. These numbers kind of overlap. They can overlap each other, but it gives you an idea. There is, this is representing church history as we go through this. So Smyrna translates, the word Smyrna translate, translates into myrrh. And myrrh is an embalming fluid they use to embalm people. Uh, if, you wanna, if you want the ver- reference verse, John chapter 19, it says they took the body of Jesus Christ down and they, they, one of the things they used was myrrh to embalm him, okay? So what does that tell you? That translates to tell you this is a time, a period in church history where Christians were being killed by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. Rome was out to get rid of Christianity. This is the beginning of church period. At the end of the church period, Rome shows back up again, the new revised Roman Empire run by the Antichrist, and he's going to kill Christians by the hundreds of thousands, Get ready for it. Remember I showed you, it's a circle. Remember Genesis tree of life, Revelation tree of life. First church period history, they're killing them by the hundreds of thousands. The last church period history, they're going to be killed by the hundreds of thousands. We don't like to think of it that way, but you know what? 20 years ago, it'd be hard to believe it, but look at what we're living in today. They don't like us. They don't think we're right. They're out to get us. All right? Uh, they, they're out there fighting each other in the streets. Okay, so he, Dr. Rutman drew this picture of the lions about to attack this family. That this is a time period where the Christians were thrown to the lion's den uh, to be eaten. They were burned at the stake. They were burned on crosses. They were crucified. There was all these different things that the, uh, ch- they were doing to the Christians during this church period. So that's why this, the church is named Smyrna, which would be translated myrrh in a bombing fluid. Good morning, guys. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. And he says, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, Remember, this is Jesus Christ telling John to write this, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That's important to know. Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. There's some people that try to preach and teach that Jesus Christ didn't die, he just swooned. And that means he just fainted. Like he fainted, he swooned, and that the disciples came. He really didn't die. He just looked like he was dead, and the disciples came, and then they helped heal him up, and then 40 days later he showed up, and he's you know, being seen by 500 people. You see all this nonsense. To believe that kind of stuff, you, got, you can't believe the Bible anymore. Amen? Okay, we know he, he died, and he says right there, which was dead and is alive. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, Muhammad is dead, but he is not alive. Your loved ones, there's a lot of your loved ones that are dead, but they are not alive. Not in the sense that they're resurrected in a body. They're living up in heaven, but they're not alive in a body. Jesus is is alive. You see this? Okay. Verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, 
So he's pointing out that they have, they have works that they're doing and they have tribulation. Remember what I told you. First part of church history, there's tribulation. Last part of church history, going to be tribulation. Get ready for it. And it says that he knows their poverty, but thou art rich. He says you're poor, but you're rich. So a person can be poor, but very rich, amen. amen. And that means that, uh, that means they're rich in Jesus Christ. They have all the riches, and that's what Jesus Christ is pointing out. He says, I know that you have, you have poverty, but thou art rich. He's reminding them you're rich. They're rich in heaven. They got reward. Not only, not only are they rich on the earth, in peace and the joy that only Jesus Christ can give us. Even though you're poor, you can have that, amen. amen. You don't need a mansion to have peace and, and joy in Jesus Christ. Amen. As a matter of fact, when you have a mansion, you lose the peace and joy. Why is that? Because you have a whole lot more to worry about. <laughs> I mean, the, the nicer the car you have, the more you're worried about it. When you have an old beat-up truck like me, you don't mind taking it out in the field and running through the bushes and stuff. But you got a brand-new 2017 GMC Sierra that you just paid $50,000 for. You don't want to take it out in the field. You don't want to get a scratch. That's why you see these people park these real nice cars at the very back of the parking lot of Walmart. They don't want somebody dinging their car up. When you have an old car like mine, you just park it up at the front. Amen? There's not a poor person in the world that's scared of being sued. You understand what? Do you understand the freedom that gives you? There's rich people that literally they are afraid of getting sued every day. They'll sue me. They're going to sue me. They could sue me. Take some, Take all my money. They can, the government can come in here and take all my money. This and there's none of us in here worried about that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We're not worried about that. There's a richness to being poor, but you also have riches up in heaven. That, okay, there's a literal sense of this too. All right, verse 9. And I know the blasphemy. Okay, there's something blasphemous going on here. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So Satan has a synagogue, what we would call a church. So the church, Satan does have a church. Okay, y'all got that. But it says there's something blasphemous going on. It says that some that say they are Jews and are not. Guys, that's, a, that's directly a prophecy, and that's directly a teaching, and it was going on at this time, too, that there was a teaching, it's called replacement theology. And there's different names for it. Replacement theology. And replacement theology, it branches off into all millennialism and post-millennialism. We in here are pre-millennial. And our, on our business cards and on our, on our ad in the paper, it says pre-millennial. What does that mean? We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to set up a thousand-year reign and to rule on this earth physically for a thousand years. That's what premillennial teaches. And we believe that. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Postmillennial means that, he, that Jesus Christ has come back at the end, that there's going to be a thousand-year reign of the church. The church is ruling for a thousand years, and everything's great, and then we're going to make it so good that Jesus Christ is going to come back. That's kind, of, that's kind of some of the Catholics get into that. All millennial is like all theist. All, like theist, you're, you believe in God, all theist. The atheist believes in no God, no God. All is none. So when you say all millennial, you're saying no millennial. So that's somebody who believes there's never going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. We're just going to be living on this earth and then Jesus Christ comes back and that's it. Well, what's the problem with that thinking? Well, the main thinking is that that does away with revelation. 
That's why these guys that believe that way teach Revelation. They always try to put it way back in church history and say it, came, it happened way back in 33 AD and 70 when Titus destroyed the temple. That's what all this is a prophecy of. That's nonsense. It don't match up. They make it figurative and they try to do it away with spiritually. So they believe since a Christian is a spiritual Jew that he also is a physical Jew and therefore gets all the promises given to the Jew in example, the land. So, uh, we in here are spiritual Jews. We are spiritual Jews in a sense that we're like Abraham, our father. How's that? He believed God and God counted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4, okay. So, we're spiritual Jews in that sense. But there's not anybody in here that's a physical Jew. I don't believe. So, we're not physical Jews. So, this teaching says that God's all done with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's all done with the Jew. And that once, you're, once God in the New Testament, he says, I'm done with all the Jews. Now it's all about the church and Christianity. And I'm done with Israel. And all the promises, those weren't going to go to the Jew. They're going to us now because we're the Jew. That means that the land doesn't belong to the Jew. Who's that promise to now? To Christians. That's what they believe. Therefore, God is finished dealing with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believe that we've replaced them, the Jews are evil, and the Jews are outcasts. That's where the Catholic Church gets their hatred of the Jew. Replacement theology. Y'all realize the Catholic Church hates the Jew, amen? amen. Hitler was a card-carrying Catholic that the Catholic Church rang the bell every birthday for, for uh, Hitler. Y'all realize that? The Catholic Church never denounced Hitler. The Catholic Church has been proven through documents. The Catholic Church helped Hitler get money and stuff that he stole from the Jews out of Nazi Germany. And it was funneling it through. The Catholic Church, I've read multiple books on Eichmann and these different Jews, I mean these different Nazis that were in Germany that escaped at the end of World War II. They, it's documented in those books that Eichmann and these different Nazis that went down into Argentina that they were helped by the Catholic Church to get across the mountains to get over to Argentina and to get on these boats and get on. It was the Catholic Church doing it. They hate the Jew. Mel Gibson, he did the Passion of the Christ, the movie. That's a very Catholic movie. Okay, very Catholic. He's a Catholic. Do you know what happened when he got arrested one time, drunk in Hollywood? They arrested him drunk in Hollywood. He said... The Holocaust never happened. You're just a Jew. You're like one of them Jews. And the Holocaust, they don't believe in the Holocaust. Why, why, do they, why are they like that? They hate the Jew. And they try to blame the Jew for everything. It's called replacement theology. Jesus Christ said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. You're not a Jew. And don't try to take what belongs to the Jew and put it on the church. Amen. Amen. Okay, got to grab a hold of this stuff, man. They believe that the Christian has replaced the Jew and the church has replaced Israel. God is not done with Israel. And we're about to go through some verses on this, guys. But the church, they believe the Christian has replaced the Jew, the church has replaced Israel. And here's another thing you need to grab a hold of. The spiritual kingdom, which is what we call, the Bible calls the kingdom of God, is the same as the physical kingdom, which in, a, in, in Scripture is called the kingdom of heaven. They believe that they're one and the same. They believe there's no difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Now that right there, guys, will lead you down to, to heresy. And what I mean by that is this. 
When you believe that the spiritual kingdom of God, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 tells us that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's spiritual. Turn to Romans 14. I want to show it to you. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Turn to Romans 14. Because we're, we're about to start turning to some scripture. Because I want to get this, I want to make sure you understand how big a heresy this is. There's a, there's a group of people called British Israelism, Israelites, and they believe that God done away with the Jew and that, that British England is the Jew, that they, the Jew, they left and that's uh, where the Jews went off into and they've replaced the Jew and God's not dealing with Israel. God hates the Jew. They're cursed to the uttermost. They have all these sayings. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and, and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, that, that's not a physical thing. It's not meat and drink. It's not physical. It's spiritual. So the king, because see, here's where people get messed up. They see, they see kingdom of God and they see kingdom of heaven. And you see this through the scripture. Kingdom of God is talking about a spiritual kingdom. Kingdom of heaven is a kingdom coming from heaven that's going to sit on this earth physically. That is the millennial kingdom that Jesus Christ talks about the first of Matthew. Where he says, in the kingdom, blessed are the poor, this, that, and up. He's talking about, he's given the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, which is a physical kingdom, the, what we call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Right now, are we supposed to kill and beat people up to bring in a kingdom? No, we're not supposed to be setting up a physical kingdom. We're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be praying for our kings. Praying, well, how are you going to do that if you're setting up a spiritual kingdom? Because we don't have a kingdom. Our kingdom's up in heaven. And we're waiting for that kingdom to come here. But it's not here yet. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And our king's not here. But when our king comes, King Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, then the kingdom comes. That's what we're waiting on. But they believe and teach that the Jew is done away with. They make the same spiritual kingdom as a physical kingdom. What results in that? Well, what results in that is you have Christians trying to take over the world through Christianity. And that, what you got is, you got. therefore, you should go forth and conquer the earth through a physical kingdom. That's where the replacement theology is so strong in the Catholic Church. That's where you go to church history, and you get into church history in 500, 1,000 A.D., uh, 1,500 A.D. What do you have going on there with, with Christianity? What people think of as Christianity, which is really the Catholic Church. What's going on then? The Crusades. They're, they're getting an army together, and they say, hey, that land doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the Muslim. It doesn't belong to the Jew. It belongs to the Christian, supposed Christian, which is the Catholic Church. Let's gather our army together. Let's take them and let's crusade and get it back. Because we've got a physical kingdom with our king, the Pope, ruling over. You see this? That's exactly what Jesus Christ taught us against. Y'all been in here on Sundays. Y'all have heard this. He taught us against it. There's no king in his kingdom in Jesus Christ's spiritual kingdom, there is no king physically on this earth. Yeah. Amen? We're, we're just, we're trying to help each other out. Even the guy, like, even a guy that's going to be ruler over you, he's got to be a servant and a minister. You remember the verses? That's not a king. <laughs> but there will come a time where we will have a physical king. It's called the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so... We're not supposed to be setting up a physical kingdom. That's what the Catholic Church got back, back off on. 
that where they messed up and they went forth trying to conquer, trying to bring in the physical kingdom because they felt like they replaced the Jew. So you understand the, the error of this? You understand the problems this can bring? It brings a lot of problems, guys. Uh, when we pray and you hear some people pray, bring, you know, uh, expand your kingdom. Lord, bring back your kingdom. Help the, bring this money in for the kingdom of God. Bring this up. We're not trying to set up a physical kingdom with money. We're trying to set up a spiritual kingdom. We want people saved. That's where the problem with today's church is. Instead of saying, okay, we need to see what we can do to get people saved, we, they're, they're getting together in committees and saying, we need to see what we can do to get a bigger gymnasium, get a bigger fellowship hall, build a bowling alley, build a coffee shop, and la da They're building kingdoms. They're building physical kingdoms, guys. I know it's a little different than a Catholic crusade, but it's not much different. In other words, you need to get a committee together and say, guys, we need to figure out what we can do to get the spiritual kingdom to grow. In other words, what can we do to get people saved? That's the way the spiritual kingdom grows. You've got to become a child of God to get into this kingdom. That's where the modern day church falls down. They think they're rich, but they're poor. Remember the Laodicean, we're going to get it. The Laodicean, Jesus Christ says, you think you're rich and you're poor. They got all these cathedrals, they got all this, and they're trying to build a physical kingdom. Jesus Christ don't want that. If this church was to burn down, we're still Indian Gap Baptist Church. We might meet under that oak tree, but our main goal is to spread the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we don't need a building to do that. We don't need a kingdom to do that, amen. Okay, so you see where this is a heresy. So he says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not. Revelation 2 9. So let's look at some verses. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to see if we can, we're going to get this straightened out this morning in closing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Uh, I can't teach this like I should be able to teach this. I'm going to give you some verses and show you the problem with replacement theology. This is a very deep theological debate. Uh, when you read people who are arguing against it, they'll just say, read Romans 9, read Romans 11. And I can tell you to do that if you're really interested in this. But you, I'm going to give you some verses just to show you that there's a problem with replacement theology. So the first verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. God says here, the Word of God says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. That verse shows you that there's three classes of people in God's eyes. There's a Jew... There's a Gentile, and there's a church of God. So when God looks down from heaven, he sees either you're a part of the church of God, which means you're a born-again believer, amen. Either he sees a born-again believer, or he sees a Gentile, or he sees a Jew. You see the importance of this. What I'm trying to point out to you is, is that if, if, it didn't, if, if the church replaced a Jew, then it wouldn't matter anymore. If the church replaced a Jew, then when God looked down, it wouldn't matter if you're a Gentile or Jew because you're all the same. But that's not how God sees it. <laughs> Even though a Jew hasn't received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Jew is still blessed. God's eye is still on the Jew. He's got promises that's still on the Jew. He's going to keep those promises. So when he looks down, he says, okay, there's a Gentile. That's just a dog. There's one of my sons or daughters. That's part of the church of God. And there's a Jew. And I owe him. because of Abraham, I'm going to bless him. He might be wicked, he might be sorry, he might reject my son Jesus Christ, but I've already made a promise, and I'm a promise keeper. I'm going to give him the blessings uh, that, that belongs to a Jew. 
Somebody might open, might raise their hand and say, well, prove that. All you have to do is look at history to prove that. Every major... Guys, you know the Jew runs the whole world, amen? People talk about Facebook this and Facebook that. That was, you know, Facebook Mark Zuckerberg. That's a Jew. You understand that, right? Most of, the, most of the actors you see in Hollywood are Jews. Most of the producers are Jews. Most of the bankers are Jews. God's blessed them. Amen. Me, and, uh, me and Brother Gary and Brother Ronnie was out there. Me and my wife were out there, and we listened to that Jew talk. He's a Messianic Jew. A gold watch, a gold bracelet, a gold ring, $1,000 suit. The guy's blessed. Taking people over to Israel for $4,000 a couple. Doing it every year. The guy's a moneymaker. Taking people over to Israel for $4,000. My point to you is this. He's blessed. Amen. That You're not blessed that way, guys. <laughs> I, mean, just, I don't think I have to argue with you about that, right? But I'm telling to show you that God's eye is on the Jew. Amen. Okay? And looking at Israel... Modern-day Israel should tell you everything you need to know that the Jew is blessed. Let's look at another verse. Look at Romans chapter 3. So what, if, if a Jew's not saved, if a Jew's not saved, which he's not, amen, without Jesus Christ, that's still the truth. A Jew without Jesus Christ will go to hell. He will. That applies to a Jew too. He must be born again. You must be born again, okay? But look at, then what's, the, what, then what's the advantage? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Paul asked the question. Or what profit is there of circumcision? So what does the Jew have over us? Well, much in every way. Much every way. <laughs> Amen? Okay, the Jew, much in every way, he has an advantage over us. It don't take, you don't have to be a Christian to see that. That's why the Jews hated. The Jews hated because he's blessed. Right? Maybe y'all don't see it the way I see it. I see jealousy of the Jew. Jealousy. People are jealous of the Jews because they're so rich and so blessed. Much in every way. Chiefly, what's the main thing? Because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. God blessed them and let them do all the words of God. Every book in your Bible is Jewish. Your Messiah was a Jew. Everybody, you're getting the, everything in your Bible, Paul, Luke, I don't care what they say, Luke was a Jew, they're all Jews. Amen. So get a hold of that. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. And we'll, we'll get ready to close up. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. Paul says, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So he's saying, I wish I could be a curse so that my... My Jewish brethren could get saved. He's talking about the Jewish brethren. But look at verse 4. Who are Israelites? So it don't matter if you're a Jew or a Hebrew, you're an Israelite, okay? Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory? This is, this is post-resurrection. This, post this is Paul talking about an Israelite that's accursed. See that in verse 3? My kinsmen, they're cursed. I'm not cursed, but I'm saying he says he wishes he could be cursed because they're lost. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren because they're lost. But even though they're lost, they're Israelites and they have, pertained, they have the adoption and the glory and the covenants. God's got covenants with them still, even though they're lost. 
and the giving of the law, they still got the law, and the service of God and the promises. God still got promises with them that he's going to keep. See how it's, it's evil to say that God's replaced Israel with the, with the Christian. God hadn't replaced us. I replaced the Jew with us. There's no way. Look at Romans chapter 11. Let me show you a little bit more of this, and we'll be done with this one. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? Who's his people? That's Israel. God forbid. That's right there answers everything I've told you this morning. Has God cast them away? God forbid. No, he has not. For I, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, skip down to verse 25 for time's sake. Look down to verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. What's the mystery? Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Here's the mystery. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So what God, what's going on is God is bringing in the Gentiles. That's me and you. And he's blinded Israel so we can get saved. And that's a mystery. But he did it. And there's, there's blinders on Israel. Hey, listen, if, if there's anybody who should receive Jesus Christ, it should be a Jew. He's, hey, Jesus is a Jew of a Jew. He, he does everything a Jew would do. Why would the Israelite not want to receive Jesus? Why would I want a Jew? You realize you're counting your whole soul on a Jew? Amen. That's what you're doing. You're relying on a Jew to get you to heaven. Okay? That's a mystery that blindness shouldn't be happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So whenever God brings in all the Gentiles that he has planned bringing in, you know what's going to happen next? We're going to be raptured out of here, and then God's going to start dealing with the, the Jew again. That's what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 4, 5, 6, all the way through. If you're in here on Wednesday night, that's why that God says, I'm going to take 144,000 of those men, young men that never known a woman, they're virgins, and I'm going to put my seal on them. They're going to preach my kingdom message. It wasn't Gentiles. He had, them, he had, he had what, 12,000 of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 of the tribe of Gad. He has them listed out. Those are Jews. Church, nowhere to be found. We're up in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going up to the feast, marriage of the Lamb, and then we'll come back, Revelation 19. So God, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, he gets through bringing them all in, getting in his church. He raptures out the church, the bride of Christ, and then he starts dealing with the Jew again, Israel. And we'll get into that as we get into the book of Revelation. Look at verse 6. And so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel? All Israel. That's a verse that's kind of controversial. But I believe the remnant that's left in Israel after the rapture of the church when the Antichrist rises up, I believe they're all going to be saved. Because in Zechariah it says, they'll look on him whom they pierced and they'll have sorrow for their, like an only son. So they're going to, those Jews are going to be, when God takes those blinders off, it won't, be, it won't be anything for a Jew to receive Jesus Christ. Once God puts those, takes those blinders off, because that's what, they, remember there's blindness, then they'll get saved. They should all be saved. Amen. They should all be saved because that's their Messiah. And so all Israel shall be saved. That's at the end of the tribulation period, okay? As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, that's Jesus Christ, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's future, brother. That's future, sister. That's in the future. God's not done with Israel. No. 
God still got stuff to do with her. It just said it right there. For this is my covenant unto them, verse 27, when I shall take away their sins. There's going to time, he's going to wipe all those sins away. Whose sins? Israel, Jacob's. See that in verse 26? Jacob. That's not the church. That's Jacob. That's future. I thought the church already had their sins wiped away. If you're saying that the church replaced Jacob, why are we we reading these verses where the sins are going to be wiped away? I thought they were already wiped away. They are wiped away. We're talking about Israel. You see how this stuff don't make sense unless you divide it up. Replacing theology is straight out of hell. It's blasphemy. That's a strong word. That's the word Jesus Christ used. Blasphemy. (laughs) It's a blasphemous teaching to say you've replaced a Jew. To say, I'm a Jew. You're not a Jew. No. And like Brother Ronnie pointed out, you notice that Jew, what he said Sunday? He said, I'm God's chosen people, and I'm one of them. Arrogant. Arrogant. But he's right. And you better not mess with him. (laughs) You better not mess with him. God's eyes on him. He's arrogant. He might be sorry. He might cheat you out of every dime you've got, but you better not mess with him. I'm just giving you some advice. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. God still loves them, even though they're enemies. Man, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The gifts and calling of God without repentance, meaning that he called the Jew, he gave him promises, he's not going to repent of that, he's not going to change his mind. To replace the promises God made to the Jew and apply them to the church makes God a promise breaker. Also, you must spiritualize and make figurative a vast majority of the book of Revelation and the Old Testament. That's what you got to do whenever you, have, when you believe in replacement theology. You got to do away with the, with the vast majority of the book of Revelation for that reason. So we don't want, you don't want to do that because you, then you have to take Revelation. That's what they do and they spiritualize all of Re- Revelation. They try to make it figurative. Why? Because they're trying to do away with the Jew. There's a lot of people trying to do away with the Jew. Amen. Here's a picture of, by Gustave Doré. He was an artist back in the 1800s, late 1800s. Here's one where he's drew David cutting off Goliath's head, holding it up. Hey, don't mess with Israel. Yeah. I love that, man. He even got the blood right there. They didn't teach you that in Sunday school. Holding up, the, holding up Goliath's head. You know, here's the Philistines, they're all at Goliaths. And there's all the Jews. Here's a little, this was off a t-shirt. And it said, the uh, nations and empires that have tried to destroy the Jewish people. And then it has a list of them all the way down here. And they're all been gone, done away with. Then it come to the Soviet Union, they're gone. Then it said Hamas, it said it's in process. But here it says the Jewish people, the smallest of, the smallest of nations, but with a friend in the highest of places. So, so be nice. <laughs> don't mess with Israel. Guys, if I can give you some good advice this morning, don't mess with a Jew. I don't know no Jews. What do you mean they won't negotiate? Here's a cartoon and it has, here's Israel as a lion and they got, he's got one of his cubs. What do you mean they won't negotiate? He's got a gun. See, it looks like an Arab. They won't negotiate. The only reason, the only reason Israel hasn't destroyed Iran is because we haven't let them. They begged Obama to let them go in there. And they would have they wiped them out. They would have leveled Iran, I promise you that. 
Here's one IDF. I thought y'all might like this in closing. No one is left behind the Israeli Defense Forces, and they're carrying out their little, their little dog they had. <laughs> on a stretcher. No one left behind. The IDF. That's where Brother Archie Davis came in. He was preaching to the IDF and to these guys out there in Israel. All right, guys. Anybody have any questions in closing? Yes, sir. They believe in the Messiah, and they believe the Messiah is still coming. He's not here yet, and they don't. They, they don't. They don't. They think Jesus Christ is a bastard. He was born because he didn't know who his father was. They say he's nothing but a bastard, but we know his father was God. Yeah. After well, there's got to be blindness. Blindness in part. So after the rapture, when the Antichrist comes in, we're raptured out. Church is raptured out. God's going to take those blinders off Israel. Then in Zechariah it says that they're going to mourn after their own, like a lot, their only son. That's when I believe that the blinders come off. They realize we crucified our Messiah. Because there's no reason for them not to believe that right now. But the only reason is because God's got them blinded. And then after that, that's when they're going to start turning. There's 144,000 of them that are sealed that, have never, that are young men. Have to be, I'd figure they're young men because they're virgins. And they're all 144,000. They go out and preach this gospel. Man. And then that's when... Satan is going after the Jew. You see that in Revelation chapter 12. Man, he goes, sends a flood after him, and God takes that remnant, puts them off into Petra, is hiding them out, feeding them in the wilderness. That's one of the things when Satan, uh, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus Christ, he says, turn these, breads into, turn these stone into bread. Well, that's the right thing to do. That's what Jesus Christ is going to do. What's going to happen for the Jew in the tribulation period, but that was the wrong time to do it. It's showing you Jesus, that Satan can get you to do the right thing at the wrong time. He's a very powerful being. So. Any other questions? Main thing to remember this Sunday morning, don't mess with Israel. Amen. That's one thing. Uh, I like what some of, the th- some of the things Trump's done is he's trying to help Israel out, and then some of the things he's done, he's not helping them out. So He's kind of on the fence right now for me. That's why I was so much against Obama is everything he did against Israel. That, that, that's what was going to destroy our nation. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for your words. Lord God, I ask that you and pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, he is the one that led us and guided us and taught us this morning, Lord God. And Father, I ask you to give us wisdom out of your book, Lord God, to understand these things. And thank you so much for Jesus Christ and the price he paid for us on the cross of Calvary. We appreciate that so much. I'm praying this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.